Welcome to St. James Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. You can learn more about St. James on our website at stjamesp.org. Well, I'm glad we have more than 10 here. When my husband Don was an airline captain and there would be bad weather in the area where he was planning to land, the flight dispatcher, not knowing exactly what to expect due to rapidly changing circumstances, would often instruct the flight crew to go down and take a look at it. Upon hearing this, the joke would, was there that the flight crew would roll their eyes, knowing that at best this meant conditions were about to be marginal. After a proper assessment of conditions, only the captain could decide whether or not it was safe to land, and that decision was accepted. In our Genesis passage today, after receiving impeccable hospitality from Abraham and Sarah and the aging couple having received that life-giving news that Sarah will bear a son in her old age, the Lord now turns toward the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah and has decided to take his crew of angels with him to go down and take a look at it, to see for himself what this turmoil or bad press is all about. And after proper assessment, he will make a judgment from there and it will stand. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah has many layers, which involves some very disturbing behavior and decisions by Abraham's nephew Lot and others in the community. But at this point in the story, we aren't told what the great sin to which he refers is. The lack of Sodom's hospitality and even violence toward those who are seeking refuge likely contributes to the great sin But primarily, it is in stark contrast to the hospitality that Abraham has just shown these three visitors. As the two man angels head toward Sodom, the Lord and Abraham remain in conversation. Abraham, obviously worried about his nephew and other family members, boldly, yet comfortable enough to do so, comes near the Lord to ask questions of God's intentions. And it is this accessibility to God and the acceptance of God's judgment that is the point I want to make today. Abraham is in direct communication with God, and it parallels several of the ways Jesus, several of Jesus' form of prayer He acknowledges God's power and wisdom as the judge of all the earth, and he expects God to make the correct decision. He also acknowledges his own state as dust and ashes. Now, it's human nature to generally ask that God shall let the guilty be punished or the innocent survive. But as Abraham moves into his petitions, that isn't what Abraham asked. He wants the whole town to be saved. 
By now, Abraham has known war, and he's he known fighting all too well. He has already had to rescue Lot on at least one other occasion, and he knows that sometimes deciphering between good and evil is not always as easy as it seems. I'm sure he couldn't, Abraham couldn't help but recall when he too had been the guilty party, particularly back in Egypt. Now here, Abraham seems determined, even desperate, for God's mercy to save, grace to save all the people in the town on the account of even ten. Commentators offer all kinds of speculations as to why he doesn't go all the way just to the one person. And I don't desire to add a lot of speculation here, but rather to sometimes accept that we are called to assess our conditions of our surroundings and make conscious choices to change courses when we find ourselves surrounded by evil. If I thought there were fewer than 10 people in my community who were righteous, my hope is that I would have the wherewithal to relocate before getting caught up in the destruction. Author Michael Fick says, Abraham is in the midst of a prayer that asks more of God, more patience, more mercy, more grace. And the persistence of Abraham's prayer for divine self-accountability is received. The disciples have asked Jesus how they too can pray in such a way that they will be, their prayers will be heard or received. They knew how to pray according to their tradition, but they watched Jesus pray and there's something different. Jesus gives them what we now refer to as the Lord's Prayer. When we, we recite this prayer, we actually use more of Matthew's longer version, but the bones of Luke's prayer are the same. All the, these words may to us feel at times just as remote as the Jewish prayers may have become to the disciples. I want you to hear the Lord's Prayer anew. Because when we break this prayer down, it is just as intimate as Abraham standing in the presence of Almighty God himself on that dusty desert road thousands of years ago. Luke only gives us a few lines, but the very first word says it all. This is a father, Abba. Now, I acknowledge that everyone in this room did not have an Abba experience from the person whose name is on the birth certificate as father. But this is who Jesus calls us father, and he teaches his disciples of such a father, and us, that this is not one who shouts, don't ever question me, boy. But it's the Father who invites us into his holy presence, just as he welcomed Abraham into his presence. If we can get past Father, or our Father, Jesus teaches us to further acknowledge that God is wholly other, and that it is his kingdom that we want on earth, not our own, 
In this prayer, we aren't asking for just for some glory that happens after we go, you know, in heaven. We can certainly ask for that. But Jesus tells us to invite God's kingdom down to earth. It's already being done in heaven. We need God's kingdom here. And just as Abraham pleads the case for other, that request in our prayers is not only for the one praying, but it will always ask on behalf of others as well. The entire people of Sodom and Gomorrah were about to be destroyed if God determined it to be so. But Abraham asks for that patience, more mercy, more grace. And he is the model of how we too can pray. Jesus' prayer depends on that acknowledgement that we are forgiven. Therefore, we must forgive. Otherwise, if we can't forgive, perhaps we need to reassess our own inward conditions in praying. Because if we can't forgive, we become the problem. The passage from Luke doesn't stop here. Jesus tells them to be persistent. Now, I'm not naive enough to think just because I yell or stomp my feet enough that I'll get everything I ask for in prayer. This doesn't resolve the mystery of prayer. But according to Jesus, it does seem that persistence in prayer is appealing to God. And Jesus' invitation to be bold in perseverance draws me in. When we pray, may we name God as our God, as I acknowledge God as the true judge of what I and what we need and trust him in the ultimate captaincy to make the best decision for all The hope is that we will then begin to only ask for what God knows is very best for us. Because that is what agape love is. Always acts in the best interest of the other. It's okay to ask what we think we need. Ask for the hard stuff. Ask for the impossible. But to quote Mr. Feck again, when you do... Expect to be held, to be challenged, to be blessed, and to be changed by the Holy Spirit. Amen.